0: Hi, I'm Alex, and this is Six Seasons in a Podcast, the podcast dedicated to having conversations with behind-the-scenes heroes of the hit NBC comedy community. It's been 10 years since the show debuted, and I'm catching up with writers and directors and producers of the show to learn more about their experiences making it this wonderful show that we, uh, we love. So today is my pleasure to talk with Neil Goldman, executive producer of Community. His work includes shows like Family Guy and Scrubs, uh, Neil Goldman, welcome to Six Seasons in a Podcast.
1: Thank you very much. Great to uh, great to be here.
0: Yeah. Uh, so, you've been involved with so much television. Um, I'd like to start with, you know, what are your earliest recollections of TV?
1: Uh, sure. First of all, you've been involved with so much television is the nicest way anyone's ever called me old. So,
0: <laughs> kudos
1: to you on that. Uh, That's not it what I meant. True. I know, I know. Uh, uh, I know. Uh, no, it's true. I've, I've been lucky enough to... Uh, uh, to have been uh, working pretty much for 20 let past 20 years already. It's weird to say um, in TV uh, earliest TV memory you ask. Um, weirdly on that one. Um, it's it's actually being behind the cameras because the first day of kindergarten when I was five or six or however old I was, uh, I learned the word absent. Uh, because, uh, my mom took me to behind the scenes, uh, to be on the set of Sesame street for the day. Oh, neat. Um, it was, it was just sort of by happenstance she got, she knew somebody, she was a teacher. She got this invitation to come and we went and, uh, I still remember Judy Collins, the folk singer. Hmm. She's like famous for sending the clowns, I guess is her yeah, big okay, famous yeah. song. Um, she was the guest star. I still remember her singing a song with, uh, with Snuffleupagus and, <laughs> um, And Oscar sitting on the steps with Oscar and a bunch of sort of kid extras who are probably also 48 years old now. Uh, I kind of wanted to be them, but we were, you know, on TV and stuff, but we were on the sidelines just watching. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, I'm not going to attribute, my mom always takes credit, you know, to the extent that it's something to take credit for, for me coming into the business, uh, because of that, that visit, uh, sort of getting bitten by the bug but i was actually i never had the heart to tell i was more of an electric company fan on <laughs> sesame street sesame street wasn't really my thing but uh but it was cool and that that was sort of that you know definitely sort of seeing being behind the scenes there even as a six-year-old and seeing sort of you know stuff they had seen on television you know how it was made um uh definitely stuck with me and Anytime I sort of watched TV subsequently, I sort of watched it w- with an eye toward, you know, like enjoying whatever I was watching, but also like thinking about like, how did they do this? How is this show made? How's that show made? The thing that used to baffle me was when they had, um, uh, a laugh track uh, on like cartoons, mm-hmm. you know, like The Flintstones, yeah. Scooby Doo. I was always like, Are people watching it, or yeah. they were. Qu- I didn't you know, the notion of this of an actual machine that made a laugh didn't occur to me. But um, uh, it was it was that it was it was those shows like Electric Company. those types of cartoons flintstones sesame uh uh, scooby-doo magic garden was a show i don't know if that was like a national show or not it was Mm. like a show i I grew up in new york in the suburbs it was a show that was in the um, tri-state area i think uh educational tv but um i was plopped down uh, a lot by my grandmother used to watch me during the day while i was eating watching these shows and those those uh those are my first memories
0: Mm. But then what shows like hooked you on the idea of being a TV writer? That's formative years, but what's, you know, this next stage of like, oh, this is like, you can be, this is a job and you can be really interesting and yeah.
1: Right. Um, well, you know, it's interesting because I was always a writer from an early age, even with like short stories and poems and, uh, uh, in fact, in, in first grade, I I had a pub- poem published in the local newspaper, and it was um, not a very good poem, but it was a topical <laughs> poem. They were closing they were closing a couple schools in the school district, and, my, and I wrote this thing, and I don't know why, because I didn't particularly like school, but I, I just wrote it, like, two schools are closing, isn't that bad? Two cl- schools are closing, isn't that sad kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. And my parents submitted it to the newspaper in the editorial section. They published it, and I saw my name in print, mm. uh, which was cool from like an ego standpoint but it was also this idea that i wrote something that now other people were seeing and other people were reading consuming that it could actually reach people you know um sort of those dots connected for me um and, and that sort of factored into wanting to to write professionally um when i was sort of you know grew out of the sesame street and electric company phase later w- much later on um but still like when i was a teen or preteen i was into shows like taxi and cheers i remember when cheers first came on I yeah. my mom, we turned it off my mom went that that was stupid <laughs> and uh uh and i was like eh, i thought it was kind of funny yeah. um uh but it, that was a story i got to share it's another cool thing about just as a side note about getting to work in tv is like years later getting to work with people who you used to watch on TV, like uh, James Burroughs, you know, is the director and EP and creator of Cheers. And yeah. he, he directed a pilot and a show that Garrett and I um, recently did, Superior Donuts uh, on CBS. Yeah. I got to actually share that story with him, which I think either endeared me to him or, Made him take me much less seriously.
0: We well, have um, uh, in Scrubs. Not to get ahead of ourselves, you even have an episode dedicated to the writer in, uh, on Cheers. So, but that's that's great.
1: Yeah, and that's yeah. because, like, you know, I, I was I certainly wasn't the only one. Uh, uh, like, so many comedy writers, Bill Lawrence included, were so um, influenced by that. You know, era in the eighties and like sort of this really this, this really good multi camera. You know, smart, sharp. Uh, ensemble shows with these really specific characters. Um, I, I didn't really, you know, get into or discover the, the Norman Lear shows mm-hmm. in the 70s until, like, later in the game, for mm-hmm. whatever reason, uh, even though that's really when I, I grew up, but um, sort of went backwards and then, you know, got into those shows, realized that you could also say things with, with, you know, like, shows could have mm-hmm. messages above and beyond just sort of the stories of, you know, th- th- these interpersonal stories that they could be topical um that was influential uh, i got to work with judd hirsch and you know, it was the star of taxi uh, he was also a star of spirit of donuts was a trip and katie Sacal, who i watched on married with children mm. um so that that part was neat um and uh the biggest influence for me though probably was the simpsons when that came along yeah. um i was in college uh and it's funny because it's a show that i often and a lot of writers garrett and i often harken back to The Simpsons as being an influence in a number of ways because we always cite it as being like a great example of what we call uh, the secret sauce when it comes to TV comedy Um, and that when we watched The Simpsons, we're younger, we would all talk about the next day and, and just talk about how funny it was and be quoting all these jokes and we thought that's sort of what was bringing us back you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and it was to some degree, but, but, but it wasn't until later until we really started to, to, to learn a little bit more about, uh, sort of the ins and outs of TV writing, um, where we realized that the, the real secret there was that the motion, the Simpsons, especially early years, like you watch those early episodes, they're super emotional. Hmm. Um, a lot of them, those episodes can, you know, give you goosebumps at the end, um, when, when, when they hit their emotional beats and, um, Sort of the lesson in that for us was realizing that, oh, that's why we rec- we were coming back, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the show was funny and, and that had, was incredibly funny and that had a lot to do with it. But the thing that we weren't necessarily conscious of, because it wasn't the thing that we were talking about with our friends, was that we were developing an emotional relationship to these characters, understanding them, even though in this... You know, and now we're talking about cartoon characters. Yeah. But that that, despite the fact that they were so exaggerated and satirical, still felt very real because they were at that stage of The Simpsons anyway. Mm-hmm. Because they were um experiencing things that we could relate to, and you know, there were there were sort of these emotional moments that you could relate to and be moved by. Yeah. And that's something that's sort of stuck with Garrett and I. Um. Uh. And, and, it, and it's and sort of like when I when I'm sort of counseling writers who are sort of coming up. And they want a piece of advice. I always say something that that I was not smart enough to realize early, just how big of a of a role um, the storytelling and the, and the and hitting those emotional beats play mm-hmm. in uh, making a television. And I think you know, Carrie, you, you'll see you see evidence of that in the community. I'm saying I'm not saying that was our influence in community. A lot of us have that understanding, but yeah. I'm saying as writers, that's especially comedy writers. The first thing you think of is like got to be funny, got to be yeah, funny. And that's sure. true, but the, the the craft piece of it. Um and the story circle that I know other others have talked about certainly sure. that we that Dan passed on and we all sort of had some understanding of from, from Joseph Campbell. That that all goes to that idea also that these stories need to have take you on these emotional journeys. Um but the Simpsons was a big one. Ren and Stimpy was <laughs> one that also early on in college when I came on, you were like, What is this? Yeah. Like, they can do these weird, you know, it was even weirder and more out there than The Simpsons, and it was also another show that's
0: Space Madness. Exactly. Yeah, yeah.
1: But, but, but these are all, these are all shows that were sort of like, you know, yeah. uh, helping develop my sensibility in yeah. terms of like, wow, that's really cool. That's really funny. That's really interesting. And um, I think all sort of played a role in, in my own creative
0: development. Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I think about uh, the episode of the crayon stuck in Homer's brain episode and, and, and the dilemma that uh, Lisa has at the end where she's like, do I get, you know, this emotional connection and this relational connection with my dad, or do I, you know, get rid of this, you know, and, and, um, you know, I think that's, that's what you're talking about. It's, it was an incredibly funny episode, but it also was very emotional.
1: Yeah. And as funny and as crazy as all the, the things that were going on plot wise and joke wise, um, the fact that it's got that, uh, secret ingredient in there is is the thing that sort of makes it and there there are examples that that are the exceptions to the rule seinfeld's the most famous one is sort of being so transcendently funny that they didn't worry about hugging uh, you know, or which is a short shorthand for hitting the emotional moments of the show, mm. that show sort of replaced the the satisfaction. The, the the sort of um, the satisfaction in that show sort of came from the puzzle all coming together. Mm. You know, sure. all these plot strands sort of yeah. interacting landed this sort of satisfying feeling at the end of the episode that made it feel cohesive, in lieu of a emotional. Uh, you know, not having sort of that emotional. Family Guy was another exception to the rule early on, uh, you know, when I was there, um, it was, uh, it was sort of a debate whether the show was just going to be joke, 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 or, 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 you know, aspire to be a little bit more emotional, I think. Um, but, but, but ultimately the, the maximum amount of jokes per minute philosophy went out and to the show's great success. So it's yeah. another example of like, you know, you have to be that funny and that, that, joke per minute uh that that type of like pack with jokes in order to sort of be able to slide by without having stories that are about something and, and as far as community go we can get into it later but as far as community goes um you know it was that sort of thinking that that uh had to come into play when we did our sort of more out there episodes it always had it was the most challenging part is figuring out how to tether those the craziness the paintball craziness the the, the chicken fingers craziness the zombie <laughs> craziness how to somehow tether that to reality um yeah. in terms of what the characters were uh experiencing emotionally and their relationships especially with regards to their their dynamics and their relationships with yeah. one another
0: well that's i love Talking with uh, with folks like yourself because this is all of uh, the that the secret sauce that goes into uh, how we get to community and you know so I, I'd like to continue to talk a little bit more about you know what in, you know the influences that you had so we talked about what the shows that uh, influence that you you were watching but let's talk about the shows that you were on um, so that we can understand you know um, a little bit more about uh, who you are as a, a writer. So uh, sure. you know, I, I, I made a joke about this. It sounds like a trivial pursuit question because it's like, well, when I saw it on your IMDB, I was like, step by step. So was that your first show?
1: Yeah, it was our first show. Um, uh, and it was it was a great first experience. Yeah. The quick, very quick sort of story of, of how that happened was I, I graduated from college and came out here with an internship to the TV Academy. They sponsored these internships. Mm-hmm um where they assigned you to you know to the internship I, I applied for was an episodic series internship and i was assigned to an executive at warner brothers and then i got to spend six weeks to pa on a show that ultimately became part of tgif2 which was called the hanger mr cooper and if you yeah, remember that sure, show yeah. with mark curry so i was a pa on that show and um sort of worked my way up to being the assistant to this executive that sponsored the internship um steve perlman um uh and uh, being at Warner Brothers was great. Um, they had a, a writer's workshop at Warner Brothers that a lot of great writers have come out of over the years. It was a sort of, uh, the best thing about that workshop was that if you applied and got in, uh, the idea behind it was that they would try to assign you, they sort of incentivized shows to hire writers because they would pay, this program would, would essentially pay the writer's salary so it wouldn't come out of the show's budget. Yeah. Uh, I was an accounting issue, yeah. but, um, uh, and, and step-by-step Step was a Warner Brothers show. And and while uh, Garrett and I did not get placed out of the workshop because Garrett halfway through the workshop ended up getting mono yeah. uh, um, and uh, nothing, we didn't really, we were able to complete our, we really, we kind of dropped out of the workshop uh, to be honest yeah. about like six weeks into the 12 week program he got sick and and i got super anxious because i we'd only worked together and they just they kind of all fell apart but um the year after that experience uh being at warner brothers having made the contacts i made one of the contacts was was bob rosenfarb who was running step by step he agreed to read um a news radio spec that garrett and i wrote which was another oh, favorite show oh, a little great later.
0: show! oh
1: yeah yeah awesome yep, show yep. um uh that we wrote a spec for that got us an agent that got us whatever, and it got to end up getting us on step-by-step. Step. And it was, it was a, um, while it's, it's sort of an anomaly, uh, you know, in terms of like my credits and the shows that I've worked on, it could not have been a retrospect. I mean, no one can plan the way their own career unfolds. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, it was the sort of perfect first, show for us because it was a very well oiled machine step-by-step step was as were all of the shows of that ilk There's Miller Boyette shows yeah. like um, uh, full house mm-hmm. and family matters. Uh, Bickley Warren were the, were the um, sort of creators and EPs under mm-hmm. the uh, Miller Boyette. Um, sort of umbrella. Okay. Uh, that whole group was like I said. These 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 shows were like it was like a factory, and they knew what the shows were, and they knew that they were sort of appealing to families and what you know. Yeah, you're talking about wow. my demo
0: right now. You know, is uh, oh really? Oh yeah. I'm like I'm 39, so it was right uh, in the mix of when I would have been TGIFing. So yeah, it's, yeah. No, it's I, awesome. I mean it was
1: yeah it was they were big hit shows you know there wasn't a lot to watch back then um and and these are by the way the shows that ended up like the the multi-camera shows that are sort of big I wouldn't say, I don't know about big hits because the, the metrics are completely different, but the Disney channel shows, Nickelodeon, all, all you know, Netflix, a lot of the multi shows for kids, those are all the shows that used to exist on network mm-hmm. television um, uh, that, that really, you know, that kind of petered out um, over, over the years, um, especially the fa- the, the true sort of family shows um, uh, that are, that were about families, but also geared towards families, you know, that could watch together. Um, anyway, it was it was great because it was like a great foundation It was very stable there to learn the basics, mm-hmm. uh, to build confidence in a way it set up unrealistic expectations <laughs> of the way TV was made, because I, as I found later on, um, it, it's much more challenging than that. But I think mm-hmm. that was uh, a function of the fact that uh, the shows themselves were, were more, you know, com- complex and, and, and complicated and aspired to, to do more um, than, than those TGIF shows. Um, but it was being in that—you know—it's terrifying when you, the first day you step, you you uh, step into a writer's room mm. after trying so long to be a writer. Now you're there, and you're the lowest uh, on the totem pole. There's a real hierarchy yeah. that exists in all writer's rooms, and these titles that you see. We can talk about this more, but these titles that you see, like producers, co-producers, supervising producers, story editors, executive producers—even not in that order, by the way—they're okay. um, essentially, for the most part, on the writer side of things. They're just titles that you you achieve with every sort of subsequent year you're on a show. You get a little pay bump and you get mm-hmm. a title bump. Um, so while on. St- st- uh, Step by step we were quote unquote staff writers. And then in the following year we would become story editors. There's nothing really different. Mm. We weren't edit we weren't not there's no you don't really yeah. edit stories. It yeah. doesn't mean anything. Um you're just a, a writer with another year of experience under your belt. So we were the bottom rung at TJF, and that can be overwhelming. Um uh especially for someone like me who the reason I'm behind want to be behind the camera is because I'm not a performer. I'm not someone who you know likes being in the limelight and and is, I'm, I'm not super loud. I like just being in a room with my keyboard and my partner and nice. writing funny jokes and scripts. but um, the the reality is writing for television is very collaborative and very social. But the nice thing about that environment was that, we very um, early on, like sort of found our niche that if the room got stuck on a joke, they would send Garrett out and I out into our own office to try to come up with a bunch of options for the joke. Mm -hmm. And we would come back in and pitch a bunch of things. And almost all the time, there was at least one that they liked. And so that felt, it felt like we were contributing um, uh, in a very sort of surgical way, um, writing uh, these jokes. And uh, also I remember if if you remember TJF, they used to have like um, cast members host the night Remember that part of it?
0: Uh, we were so they would be like, for instance, this, yeah. like
1: one week they were on Step by Step. For instance, they would have uh, the, two of the kids that were on Step by Step, or Patrick Duffy and Suzanne Summers, essentially host the the the, the TJF thing. Mm-hmm. And, and what happened was they would do these little intros to each show as the lineup you know uh, unfolded over the night. Um, and, and what was cool was the first sort of pure writing Garrett and I. Uh, ever did was they they assign all those sort of menial tasks to the, the lowest level writers. We were assigned to write the bumpers hmm. for um, for for one night when the step by step people were hosting and we actually had a party at my house <laughs> because they, they just they basically it was the first time that stuff that we wrote was like wasn't changed. It was word for word, better for worse, yeah. uh read by these actors and it was it was in retrospect it seems silly but at the time it was a giant thrill oh, because do the first words that we yeah, wrote that were spoken great. by other people that were on tv yeah that's great so uh uh my friends thought we were idiots but um that was fun uh-huh. uh so so yeah tgif was um like the perfect like if i if i had to if, if those types of shows and there are there's still shows that are very well run and and sort of you know a combination of the showrunner's style and, and 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 what the show aspires mm-hmm. to uh, allows it to sort of be a bit more of a factory um but uh if, if it's a great first experience for any writer to be to be just plugged in you know your role you know the show knows what it's doing the hours are good and uh, you get like a good foundation for us it was it was a great foundation of how to how to make a television show
0: and then you go to family guy Right. Uh, So,
1: and then we went to Family Guy. There was a little hiccup in between when, after Step by Step ended, it got the joke Aaron and I make is that after TJF being so successful for many years, uh, Step by Step got canceled uh, 18 episodes into the 22 episode order that we were on it. Mm. It was also the year that that TJF moved from ABC to CBS, Mm. which didn't really help Mm because CBS's audience was not really into TJF shows. It was an experiment. Um, But yeah step-by-step step, got unceremoniously canceled we actually for a while found ourselves adrift it was you know you're always sort of judged based on your last credit even though beggars can't be choosers we <laughs> really can't at the beginning anyway choose what show you want to be on um uh, and to get any job is sort of an accomplishment in this sort of musical chairs of, of staffing season sure um but uh people sort of you know the the, the business sort of was holding this credit against us and and To some degree, to the extent that uh, we we didn't get any meetings the following year Mm. uh, to to, to staff on a new show. Um, I think we got one. It was on the show called A New Love Boat, which wasn't even a comedy for UPN that we would have killed to be on. And we're close to getting, but then at at the last minute, didn't even get on that. So for a while, I was like, oh, shit, is that going to be, was that it? You know, (sighs) is it going to be one and out for Uh us? And then late in the game family guy came along because it was a it was a um presentation that you know seth made and they didn't pick it up i don't think right away fox didn't pick it up at the up necessarily they picked it up um i think like a little bit after uh because it was animated it wasn't you know, something yeah. they had to announce for the fall schedule it wasn't going to premiere for a while back and uh yeah and and so and, and luckily uh, david zuckerman and seth did not hold anybody's credit against us they just read everybody's spec scripts and they loved the news radio that we wrote mm-hmm. and um we went and had a great meeting and got super lucky. And um I remember our agent telling us the show will change your life and uh and he was right in in a number of ways.
0: Yeah. I'd love to know a little you know, for those listening, this is, you know, the the iteration of Family Guy before it was uh you know canceled and then brought back. So you got you got to be on this original section. Yeah, we were
1: part yeah. of the yes, we were part of the original crew there, um, which was awesome. Um, you know, the amazing thing about Family Guy for us in terms of our development as writers was that it was really not that it was necessarily like revolutionary or breaking any complete new ground, but there was a rhythm to it that was a bit different uh, in terms of the format, in terms of the jokes, and all the cutaways, and all the pop twos, and all the fantasies. Uh, and again, the jokes per minute ratio, even more than The Simpsons, you know, for yeah. better or for worse. Um, And it really was a show, Seth uh, being this sort of, you know, at the time, like a 25 year old, you know, Mm -hmm. right out of RISD back when he was still a nerd and (laughs) pushing his glasses up and uh, um, uh, really, really sort of taught us to think out of the box when it came to, when it it came to um, gags and jokes and storytelling and these devices that, you know, whether by coincidence or not, would, we would be using uh, on, on Scrubs, Garrett and I, and, and on Community. Uh, we didn't. We weren't the. Uh, I'm not taking credit for that. It just so happened that those shows did these kind of things, sure. and um, and we we were prepared. Um, it really allowed us to sort of develop these other these other muscles, comedically, and and of course animation too. It was interesting because animation is such a different. Garrett and I also have been lucky to, to have worked in. Multi-camera, you know, there's multi-camera shows we're in front of an audience, like the Step by Steps. There's the animation, obviously, like Family Guy, and there's single-camera shows like Community. And we've gotten to play in all three sandboxes. In fact, now it's come full circle, and we're working on a new animated show for Fox for our friends, um, cool. Gabby and Jen, uh, called Housebroken. Little plug there.
0: Great.
1: I don't think that'll be <laughs> I think that'll be on the air until <laughs> 2021. And that's part. Of my point here is that animation. It's interesting. It's got such a long like. That show really taught us to trust the process, um, meaning that, you know, the cool thing I, I, I said step by step was like a factory. And what I mean by that is, like, you know, and, and all most live action shows are like this in terms of the way they're produced. There's you have a table read, and then you've got run throughs on multi camera shows. You have run throughs in front of the audience. Uh, you have one for the studio, one for the network, and then you put the show up on its feet and you bring the audience in. Um, Single camera shows don't have the run throughs, but it's also ideally, most of the time, a uh, five-day production schedule, you know, with a table read at the start and you get notes as you go. Um, animation, though, is you have a table read and then you record the voices and then it takes three months until the next piece of the process, which is when you get that animatic in, which is just right. sort of the rough drawings that are synced up with, the, with the, um, the voices, you know? Yeah. And then you watch the animatic and three months later, you get to make some changes based on the animatic. And Then you, another few months pass, then you get a color, which is the sort of preliminary actual animated version where you're also able to make less changes, but you're able to get in there more. What's interesting about that for for us was realizing like with distance, uh, that the show that you thought you had, you nailed by the end of the production week. When you, from between the table read and recording the voices, you know, you do a rewrite and you feel like you get it all figured out, but then you watch the animatic. And also because you're in this new format, you're actually seeing it, you know, you're seeing what the animation brings to it or how, Maybe you could take better advantage of the animate. And the point is, like, it's another step in the process where you realize, like, oh, what, what we thought we had nailed, yeah, we did a pretty good job, but there's still ways that we can improve this. And then you think you've done it again, and then three months later you get the the color in, and you go, oh shit, I wish we would have done something differently. And then you get to edit, and then. Again, it's all stuff that should have been obvious, but until like you have this experience, yeah. you go, oh. In other words, it taught us to not be such perfectionists. It taught yeah. us that like, because there's no such thing. <laughs> uh, the, the reality is, at a certain point, even with animated shows, you know, it, it's you got to shit or get off the pot. Uh, you got to finish your product. That's what's yeah. so cool about television. By the way, I know you were asking me why, why television. television. is so great is because you get. You know, there aren't that many mediums where, you know, if you're working on a show that you write it, that you're going to produce it, and then it's going to get on the air and someone's going to mm-hmm. see it, you know, features, yeah. movies, a lot of people write movies and they just kind of go into, you know, the screenplays get bought or sold or whatever, and it could be years if ever before they're made. Yeah. Um, novels take a hell of a long time. You never know, you know, unless you're someone established, if you're going to be able to sell it or not. If you're on the staff of a television show, the great thing about it is, you know, that this process is going to unfold. And um, at the end of the day, you're going to have a finished product and people are going to see it. The original point I was making about perfectionism, which is why I won't ask you to edit this and take my stammering out. <laughs> no, <laughs> <can't>, I, I... <laughs> there's, no, there's no such thing. Yeah. Um, it's just a matter of doing the best you can, given the t- limited time you have and the resources. And um, all the more reason when TV comes out great, it's it's that much more of an accomplishment. Because mm-hmm. everybody who's making great TV is making it up against, you know. Huge deadlines and huge limitations with respect to budgets and time and various voices in the mix trying to push you one way or the other. And uh, so it's, it's a minor miracle when things come out great.
0: Well, let's uh, move on to Scrubs because personally, uh, I told you offline that uh, it was my first love uh, of a TV show. You know, it just hit me in the right time, right demo for, for just loving this show. And so I'd love to t- uh, send, uh, spend some time, uh, speaking of imperfections, um, <laughs> spend some time, uh, you know, just talking a little bit about, um, you know, I haven't asked you about, um, uh, Garrett Donovan, uh, to talk about uh, how you work together in this what were your roles on this show and uh, you know flesh that out a little bit more how did, how did that evolve
1: uh we started um uh, oh family guy got canceled it actually got canceled twice and renewed twice the first time mm-hmm. it got canceled was after that for this first 37 episodes garrett and i were kind of like sort of not to sound over dramatic but we were there was part of us that were sort of heartbroken mm-hmm. over the cancellation because we thought it was this sort of very special funny transcendently funny crazy show that would catch on and and it, it would eventually do so so maybe we weren't that crazy but it was a little depressing when it got it got canceled uh because we were like oh wow we got to do all this exciting shit it didn't seem like anybody cared or at least not enough people cared <laughs> to keep it on television um and we sort of had a little show and we were on the show called daddio in between which was a fine show michael Chiklis is a multi-camera show but again just by virtue of it being multi-camera we couldn't we didn't feel like we were getting to exercise that muscle that we developed on family guy. And then scrubs comes along um, and we saw that pilot and it felt in in some level, it was a completely different show, obviously, and live action and about doctors. And, uh, but there was, there, there was a, um, family guy esque element to it, which were Mm -hmm. these, these popaways and these cutaways and these fantasies. And, you know, you mentioned it was a single camera show um you know bill lawrence would be the first one to sort of say well the part of the reason he populated he came from multi-camera world he had done spin city part of the reason he knew he didn't want scrubs to be a a multi-camera show because he thought that would take away from the reality of the grittiness of the world you know and it would um he wanted he was very adamant about it being in a single camera show not just that he wanted we shot it you know in a real hospital uh they wanted to come in the studio and like spruce up the hospital, make it look good for TV. And, and Bill wanted it to look shitty. He yeah. really wanted it to look like a shitty uh, hospital. Yeah. Um, Cause it would feel real. Um, and, um, but, but the, the, cutaways and the fantasies and the voiceover, all of this, to some degree, it was a compensation for the fact that there wasn't a laugh track. And Bill was a little concerned with, with respect to comedy and single camera comedy about keeping up the pace and keeping people vested and interested in laughing without, that that rhythm that you have in multi-camera shows and that laugh track that you have in multi-camera shows and uh it's funny because if you watch the first few um seasons of scrubs every time someone like every time jd like moves his head zach braff moves his head you hear like a sound there's also sound effects mm-hmm. galore in the first couple episodes it's always like <laughs> uh even when he's moving his head and we, Bill sort of tailed, you know, pulled back on that a little bit because he realized, like, all right, it's, it, the show's working, but at, at first it was a function of his like um, insecurity about whether um, uh, it would feel like a comedy, hmm. you know, without these extra accoutrements. Yeah. Um, so the the the, uh, the sound effects eventually um, went away, and uh, by by Bill's own, you know, sort of course correction, but. Um, uh, like I said, the fantasies were there, um, the pop aways were there, and Garrett and I were brought on as story editors, and like I said before, okay. just another fancier word for writer. Um, we, our role was just to be on staff. Um, uh, Bill also, you know, was sort of credit blind and really loved our news, news radio. He wasn't that familiar with Family Guy. I remember it had just been canceled. If anything, it was like nothing to brag about. <laughs> yeah. um, at, at, well, when he when he hired us. Um, but yeah, we were there, um, from the beginning. Um, he was a big influence on us and a a real mentor. Uh, we were on that show for eight years, which is like an eternity when it comes to television. Um, and again, you can, you can't ever pick and choose, but it was very rare. It's very rare for anybody to be able to say they worked on one show that they absolutely loved, uh, as a, as a television writer um unfortunately because so many shows come and go and you can have a long career without a show ever going sometimes ever going more than one season potentially yeah, yeah. it's possible we were on at least three or four shows that we really you know loved or passionate about scrubs being one of them um it was great because it was a sort of like i said we sh- we didn't shoot it on the studio a lot we shot it in this shitty hospital in valley village and we were our own little like oasis we're mm-hmm. our own little studio. Um, we built, we took over an urgent care uh, there to the detriment of the community, but to the benefit of <laughs> us having to be able to be, being allowed to build uh, swing sets, you know, like yeah. these, mm-hmm. like if we were ever at a bar or somewhere else outside the hospital, we usually ha- had a little makeshift studio of our own um, The sort of network and studio kind of let, left us alone because they didn't feel like coming to a shitty hospital to go to table reads and, and such. They were involved, but not as involved as other shows we've been on. Um, and, uh, and it was great.
0: Yeah, yeah. What was your favorite episode to write? Yeah, that one sticks
1: uh, out. The, our favorite episode was probably My Screw Up, which was the one that we um it's an easy answer to give was the one that that we ended up uh, getting a, a nomination for, mm-hmm. but it was tr- truly a group uh effort that episode. It was it was broken by the guy, uh, by the way as as almost every single episode of every television show you've ever seen is uh, a group effort. Um, You you have the written by all that means uh, is that you went off and wrote the first draft based on an outline that usually a room helped break the story for. Um, So we were given, you know, we went off to write that script with, with the bill at at the lead and and the group's effort in terms of like figuring out what that story was. That story had a lot of twists and turns in it. Um, It was a Brendan Fraser episode. that he was a guest star on yeah uh that had, yeah, the sixth sense i think is that what you said before yeah, yeah. sorry mm-hmm. yes it yeah. had uh, the sixth sense sort of twist so we you know what's coming if you haven't seen it yeah. um but uh it was, it was just it was a fun one to write uh there certainly plenty for garrett and i even going off with of the outline where we started to figure out like okay we knew that like there's a scene I don't know if you remember the scene where uh ben who is brennan fraser is talking to dr cox and elliot's in the scene and we find out later that that Ben died. That's the sixth sense element that you're talking about. That he wasn't there. It's the ghost that's in Doctor Cox's head. It looks like um, though he's interacting with Elliot and Doctor Cox because he's pretending to be behind Elliot, being a puppet master, mm-hmm. being yep. sort of the, a puppeteer. Yeah. Uh, so that's something that Garrett and I, you know, came up with because we went off with an outline that said, oh, you know, Elliot is 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 interacting with Dr. Cox. It seems like she interacts with Ben and it does in that scene. If you look at it at one point, because Dr. Cox is laughing at this thing that he's seeing in his mind, Elliot turns around and Ben stops um, maneuvering her. Mm. And then she turns back around and he continues. It looks like he got busted by Elliot. So it was a sort of a fake out. It was one of the fake outs to the, it was one of the reasons why we didn't think anybody would be ahead of the story um so there were there were little there's our fingerprint here and there in terms of things that we thought of within the 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 guidelines of this very cool story that the room gave us for where we felt a certain amount of ownership um of and proud of the, the 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 draft that we delivered but again a draft that that we delivered and then the rest of the writing staff with bill at the helm um helped us rewrite and uh and uh we just uh our psych that we get to take credit for a great uh, group effort on that one yeah. it was a really fun one uh
0: what uh ways do you think community is uh, like uh, scrubs because i i think there's uh, you have this cast you have these misfits that come together um do you have any thing that jumps out to you
1: yeah i mean well what you're saying certainly it's an is an ensemble show um uh all with very specific characters um uh you know scrubs also had these uh con- what we called concept episodes mm-hmm. um I don't, I don't know that we were the ones to coin that term but certainly my screw up was one of them in the sense that it was sort of a six sense concept episode
0: mm-hmm. my way home um, i think which you wrote the, the my way
1: home was wizard was right wizard, wizard of oz, oz yeah. correct that was a concept episode another we did our musical episode we did our um like you mentioned earlier the one that took place in front of the multi-camera that was shot on a multi-camera stage yep. um uh with a concept episode so um you know it had those things going for it that that sort of translated to community um uh the show had a lot of heart um which community did it had the same challenge of wanting to do sort of fun outrageous things but figure out a way to to ground it and make it about something emotionally um you know scrubs was had that in common but was very different about scrubs at the same time was that scrubs had this setting that um lent itself to stakes lent itself to real world stakes just yeah. by virtue of being in a hospital that was that was the dirty germ of the show in in bill lawrence's mind was oh how crazy would it be for you to go to work on your first day of work but you know, you, you, you're you responsible for whether someone lives or dies, potentially. Mm-hmm. That's sort of the whole germ of the idea. The challenge with community, we all realized early on, I think, and, and it was part of the reason why community eventually became so, why we became so enamored with doing these conceptual episodes, where Dan did especially, was because you're on a community college campus that the stakes aren't life or death. <laughs> the stakes on a community college campus are like, for the most part, what, how good a grade did you get, yeah. you know, in this class? In a way, uh, this community college was kind of this bubble that wasn't giving us, it was giving us story engines for, you know, funny classes and professors and, and, and certainly dynamics. But I think Dan knew early on that we weren't going to necessarily, and he didn't want to get, it was, by design, it wasn't about like, oh, every episode of the show is going to be about how well we're doing in school. It just no one, no one would care ultimately, yeah. because the fact is they were still in school for another few years. So um, you know, one of the big arguments in that show, and one of the big um, themes of, of conflict between the studio and Dan and the network and Dan, and and, and all of us it wasn't just Dan, was the the desire from the network and the studio, and it was a well-meaning desire. We, we understood where it was coming from to make the show, quote unquote, more accessible, mm. to make the show quote, unquote, more normal, you know, have the shows be about, but, but part of the argument we would say back to them was, well, again, it's like, we're always going to do shows. And this is why ultimately where the challenge came in, um, that were about the characters relationships with one another, their dynamics, with one another, and their dynamics as a group, you know, scrubs didn't scrubs had a little bit less of that Community's DNA was about, was about the study room scenes, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, and, and about the – the um, I read someone's article today who wrote about, you know, in the wake of being on Netflix, people are, are, are being very cool and, like, listing off their favorite episodes. And yeah. this gentleman's favorite episode was, was the bottle episode that Megan wrote with, with the pen being stolen, you know, which was basically an episode just about group dynamics, you know?
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, just talked with her uh, about that episode. So, yeah. Right, right. People I mean, uh, are, are, who are listening to this uh, know uh, very much so about that. We, yes, <laughs> we talked about yeah. it for a while.
1: <laughs> right uh uh you know we could and I, and I said this to you off podcast before too like we could you could do a podcast about every episode yeah. of the show because of the way it evolved and they were so tricky uh because dan set the bar very high for the show in general uh but also for these episodes you know conceptually uh in terms of what he wanted to do and how he wanted to push things and how he really wanted to reinvent the wheel um and do things that people never saw before but getting back to that original point. That wasn't necessarily what Studio Network were after. Mm-hmm. They, they, they had some fears that, you know, or or it was fear slash sort of expectations of like the way TV conventionally works is that you know the audience getting anyone audience to go what the hell is this? Yeah. Uh, and the way around that uh, was to make sure that if we were going to do these big episodes, paintball being sort of the first one, I think that really um, crystallizes for us. Modern Warfare, yeah. that ultimately the, the, it couldn't just be about the characters playing paintball and who's going to win. Mm. That episode, it wasn't until we figured out that um, it needed to be about Britta and Jeff's relationship mm. uh, and, and play with the romantic comedy that we've been sort of, you know, planting seeds for and arcing out through the season that ultimately it wasn't going to feel like a sketch, yeah. um, the episode, because uh, no one would care that would get old very fast they had to be following something that they were invested in with respect to these characters and their relationships to one another
0: well how did your time on scrubs then prepare you for community no yeah i mean it's a
1: good question and i have a very sort of as it turns out very clear answer to that was scrubs again because scrubs also aspired to be different and uh uh, and tell stories that we haven't seen before. Bill was very much about like, even, even if it was a plot that seemed familiar on the surface, he was always very determined to find plot points that, that were surprising, uh, even within the stories that we've, we felt like we've seen a hundred times, twists and turns and things. And so th- that took time to figure out. Mm-hmm. And when you're doing, when you're producing a show week in, week out, you are on a clock and, and time does run out. Um, but what we learned on on Scrubs that prepared us very well for Community was that um, you can make episodes under these conditions uh, without necessarily losing uh, quality you know quality control um, and we used to call it guerrilla television making because I mean the most extreme example of it on Community was I'm sorry on Scrubs was um when we found ourselves with having to be in production on a monday and on friday having no idea what that episode was going to be Mm. and um bill said all right here's what we're going to do because on single camera shows every episode is boarded meaning you get a script and based on the locations and the characters the producers come up with a schedule so that you you know you shoot it out of order like a like a movie so if if for instance on in Scrubs, if we were in the ICU, we would want to shoot, ideally shoot all the ICU scenes in one day so you don't have to move the whole company because that takes a while when you have to move sets. Um, it eats up a lot of time. So anyway, Bill's solution to not having a, a script for the episode that was to be produced on Monday was just come up with you know a C story, a small sort of runner story, not the main story of the episode that could be contained in one set and that we could we could write in one day um and and shoot on monday while we were outlining the rest of the show wow on monday Hmm. and then while we were outlining the show on monday that they were shooting the c story for um we had to be in close contact with the production side usually production has a week of prep before they even shoot the show in 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 cases like this prep goes away um it's not a way that you you should make television yeah. <laughs> for a number of reasons uh, it's never the goal but, uh, uh, because you want everybody to, to, to feel like they're having the time they need to do their job uh and do it well but on both shows the crew the crews were amazing and able to sort of go with us on this when it went when, it, when it, that happened yeah. but um but essentially taught garrett and i that okay well all right uh all we have to have written for tomorrow If we know what the story is, the whole story is, uh, and the outline of the story – at the end of the day, all that we really need for tomorrow are the scenes that shoot tomorrow. Mm. And it puts, it looks, it puts everybody at a great disadvantage. The crew who's trying to get everything together, the props, the costumes, such and such, the actors who are oftentimes in those situations, uh, doing scenes, not only out of order, but scenes where they necessarily haven't even seen what the whole story is. So they're not sure what they're supposed to be acting (laughs) because they don't know what came before and after. Um, uh, um, and uh, you know, it's real, like skinnier teeth, kind of nerve-wracking uh, television making. Now, uh, again, not a way. It's never anybody's goal. It's never what's recommended. It's not the way you quote-unquote should do it. But a lot of times, you're doing it because of the. It's related to the fact, not that you're incompetent or lazy or haven't been doing your job, but because you've raised the bar high mm. and you're doing something with a high level of difficulty. Um and scrubs uh, under, you know, the, the buck didn't stop with us, it stopped with Bill on that show. Mm-hmm. The other challenge is you have to do that and stay on budget for the whole year. And Bill sort of had various ways of making sure that happened. Again, hence the bottle episode. Yeah. There, there, there's a reason that was a bottle episode that all took place in the study room. It's because we couldn't afford to build any more sets and yeah. we had to save money. um But, um you know, there's a quote that, always makes me sound pretentious. Uh, it was Orson Welles who said, he said uh, his quote is, uh, uh, I may be reversing this, but the enemy of art is the absence of limitations. If you think about what that means, yeah. it's that if you're limited, then you're forced to be creative. Yeah. Whether you're, you're, limited, you're limited in time, you're limited in budget, you're limited whatever. And if you've got smart, creative people around you, and certainly on Scrubs, that was the case. Uh, for sure, community with Dan at the helm, that was the case and an amazingly talented staff, um, we were able to rise to that occasion. Uh, and while it drove the studio and network nuts, because not only could the crew uh, uh, and actors were frustrated, but but the people who were actually giving you money to make the show don't like it when they don't know what you're making. Sure. <laughs> understandably. Sure. Yeah. Um, but again, uh, and it comes with that disclaimer, uh, it, did, it did in both shows lead to some of the, you know, that was... It wasn't a cause effect thing. It's not as simple as that, Mm -hmm. but some of the best shows, let's put it this way, best episodes of each show were made under those circumstances. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think it was a product of the bar being, being high and the level of difficulty being high. In some cases um, it, it meant having to reshoot things later Halloween, which I said the Halloween episode of, of community, you know, most shows it takes you about a week, the writing staff, three days to five days to break a story, come up with a whole story for an episode halloween took um maybe six to eight weeks wow. and then even after wow. we shot it and figured it out the zombie episode i mean yeah uh, of, of community sure. uh, and even after we shot it we went back and we reshot for about a day because of the Russos not being happy with some of the the look of the show because it was made under that pressure mm.
0: That has one of my favorite uh, uh, scenes in it when they're in the basement uh, and the cat is jumping out from the, the 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 so it's Troy and Abed and Jeff they're in the basement and and all of a sudden this cat jumps out and it's like what, where is this cat coming from and it jumps out multiple times it's a yeah really really funny scene so.
1: yeah it was, it was it was a crazy insane thing that didn't that and and you can imagine why how do you make zombies <laughs> yeah work and and you know here's this common theme of me saying tethered tethered to reality tethered to reality uh you know we threw reality somewhat out the window in that in that episode mm-hmm. uh, obviously yeah but it still had to have a through line had to be about something had to have some believability in, with respect to the way the characters are acting and, and it being about something yeah uh, other than just a zombie apocalypse yeah. and that's what that's what took a while and then you know I, I, and, and dan would not he would not uh, settle, to his credit, for anything less than what he thought was, you know, a, a great episode. And, and the Russos were the same way. And we had that support internally. We had enough sort of muscle behind those impulses um, to, uh, to, to make those shows and those episodes happen, despite some of the, the, uh, the limitations. Yeah.
0: Well, I talked to Chris Brannan, uh, who actually was a set builder. On community for six years, and he, right, right, yeah, and he just loved it. Um, He said he just has the fondest memories. He knew, you know, there was those moments like you're talking about where we don't know what we're going to build, but when it when the the plans came through, you know, he was just yeah, his creativity to figure it out.
1: Right. And there was an episode in which I remember we the call time was at eight. And we got there and we had to wait because there was still hammering going on, on the because yeah. they were still building the set that we had to shoot on yeah. and paint it. Yeah. And uh but yeah, there was there was a sense of I think everybody had a sense at times that uh something special, you know, Dan was making a special show. Certainly the the fandom and the fact that the show still reverberates or people is speaks to that.
0: Yeah. Well, chronologically, we've hit it. We're we're now, uh, you know, you've you've landed uh, yourself on community. You know, I think uh, when I initially saw the executive producer role, um, I assumed some things. And and so, tell us more about what your role was on the show and and how you how that played out.
1: Right. Well, like I said, I'll, I'll just. Backing up just a sec, I said earlier. Okay, so there's, there's all these titles. There's these writer titles, and, and sometimes these titles are also given to people on the production side of things. So every once in a while, you'll see a producer credit or a co-producer credit, uh, or supervising producer credit, and, and sometimes even executive producer credit that is given to somebody who isn't necessarily on the writer staff. For the most part, all those names, all those producers are writers. Um, executive producers, generally, that's that's who the buck stops with. Usually on any show, and it's usually the the creator or i can't remember i think it's like the maybe the first executive producer credit that comes up is the is the showrunner um on scrubs we we rose to executive producer title by virtue of being there for so long and climbing the ladder and um and bill liking us and wanting to sort of you know elevate us and give us some, some more responsibilities with respect to like editing or trusting us to be on the set and give notes or giving notes on the sound cut there are some extra responsibilities that can be sort of given to you when you're a producer and you're expected when you sort of hit the producer level also to have a more of an understanding of like what it takes to make these shows and, and, and why this idea might not be practical. So don't even bring it up because we don't have the money for it or, you know, what some of the restrictions are, but um, sure. uh, you know, Bill from, from wire to wire and Scrubs, he was the showrunner. The buck always stopped with Bill. We were never show running with Bill or co-show, co-show running with Bill um, on community. Uh, Dan was executive producer by virtue. Also of the fact that he created the show almost always, um, the creator of the show is a, is a executive producer. Uh, but Dan by his own sort of, you know, he would, he would be the first one to admit it at the time, did not have any network television experience under his belt. He'd done all these other amazing things. He did this amazing pilot that, you know, that was shot and didn't go He had channel 101, movies he had written. Yeah. Um, but he didn't have necessarily this, uh, this uh, experience climbing the ladder he sort of skipped all that by virtue of being (laughs) Dan. (laughs) Um, So the the studio and the network, when that happens in general, they like to pair up um, the creator, executive producer with other showrunners uh, to co-run the show. Um, And uh, that can lead to issues sometimes because, you know, um, uh, issues of like, uh, on any show, someone, the buck has to stop with someone creatively. Someone's got to be the one to go with all the pitches that are being pitched and all the ideas being thrown around. This is what we're doing. And this is, this is the story we're telling. And this is the line they're going to say. And these are the words that are going to happen in the line that they're going to say, like, you know, it doesn't always get that micromanagey, but it, it, it can, those kind of debates can occur within writer's room, between rooms in the studio and the network, um, uh, and someone's got to make the final call, not just in the writing of it, but in the editing of it, um, on the set, you know, in terms of like blocking, in terms of you know what the director's doing, how the actors are delivering their lines. And so the uh, generally the showrunner um, is the one who is in charge of the show. We were there. We understood from the beginning, not to uh, by any means get in Dan's way or try to even be co-equal with Dan with respect to these kind of decisions, but to really help him, uh, produce the show week in week out, um, get him, you know, get, get with, with his, uh, input, um, and adapting to his style, figuring out a way to create the show week in week out, um, and keep it on budget and interface with the studio and interface with the network. Um, sometimes do that so that dan wouldn't have to do that so he Mm. could stay focused on the show but um fairly early on the first season like the, the studios and networks when they when they have a creator that isn't have this experience sometimes their tendency is to protect their investment by throwing a lot of people executive producer credits and piling up the show with people who have experience it's it's on one hand the instinct we understand the instinct on the other hand it still boils down to what's the hierarchy who does the buck stop with here if you're giving a lot of people a lot of executive producer titles now there's a whole other sort of subset of executive producers who are called non-writing executive producers these are the sort of jerry bruckheimer's of the world and the you know and and you know some for for. J.J. Abrams is a is a obviously very prolific and good writer, and so is Bill. But sometimes on certain shows, they are in a capacity as non-writing producer. Uh, it's not the same thing as like what happened on Community, which was Russ Krasnov um, was the was the uh, non-writing producer. Russ was the guy who had a production deal at Sony, who you know met with Dan and sorted through Dan's ideas and said, "This Community College idea, I think, has potential." and uh and went in and pitched it with dan dan sort of made an agreement to do it with his company and sold it and then he uh is on board as an on writing producer um executive producer rather uh that's a it's a bit of a different much different animal than bill lawrence or or um j.j abrams as a it's not even correct to say the non-writing executive producer on the show, but they they can executive produce show, not necessarily be on the writing staff yeah. of the show, okay. yeah. but they'll still give notes. They'll still give their input and their, their, their notes and their input is taken very seriously. Sure. Non-writing producers, same thing varies to the degree to which the showrunner, uh, to the degree to which the non-writing producer sort of says, you know what, you guys are the creative team. I'm going to step back or the degree to which they step in and, and want to be more involved. Um, sometimes the showrunner is totally cool with that and, and and wants the advice and solicits the advice of of that you know producer. usually those people come from different backgrounds they come from executive backgrounds russ was the head of sony uh television for a while mm-hmm. usually um they're, they're they're like former agents or former executives they're not again they're they're not writers doesn't mean they don't have in general, things of value to say, but usually they're not going to get involved in the very nitty gritty. So we were we were brought on uh, as executive producers to, to co-run the show with Dan. Um, and like I said, it became very early on. It became very clear that that if we were going to have any aside from having a creative stamp, and, and we early on with Dan, you know, made some, you know, felt felt like we were helping make uh, a bunch of sort of creative decisions for the direction of the show, you know, with Dan um but always deferring to him hmm. uh, uh and and especially deferring to him when it became clear to us even that within this sort of new world for him of that he was going to pick up on it very very fast um you know he he would uh, uh and while he did pick up on it very very fast the sort of step by step factory model wasn't going to be suited to the well-oiled machine so to speak wasn't going to be suited to Dan's style because again dan was trying to make a product that was um much more interesting um and that required more time and thought and effort and trial and error and um you know when things got hairy because of uh of other parties being being uh You know, thrown by how much this was costing, or how how little uh, heads up they were given before they found out we were going to do a Dungeons and Dragons episode, or what what the fuck, what KFC space, what the fuck are you talking about? Um, you know, rather than Dan having to deal with it, or or getting, you know, we 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 would have one of our roles on that show was to sort of try to get Dan always referred to me as like the diplomat of the show who had Mm -hmm. to figure out a way to you know, make the studio and network uh, happy or do a little tap dance for them while they were waiting to have the table read at 12 o'clock, but, but the writers were still up uh, trying to get the, the third act of the script written. <laughs> and and uh, when, it, when it got that, that down to the wire or when when budget concerns started coming up, f- trying to, you know, help figure out solutions to keep the show on budget, um, to try to, you know, really make sure that even though it wasn't going to be, This sort of uh, uh, a show that, you know, the the process of the show wasn't something they had seen before, for the most part, and and, and the show itself wasn't something they had seen before. Mm -hmm. And and I would always say that the ends justify the means uh, on this one, Uh, especially since at the end of the day, we always did find ways to... um, come in on time whether it was because whether it was by you know getting 300 grand from subway to name a character we got a finger shoved up his ass (laughs) and we we would be subversive about it try to be subversive about it so we weren't being complete sellouts but the reason we did that was because the show was half a million dollars or whatever i'm pulling numbers on my butt right now but it was quite a bit over budget and we needed to in order to not have sony you know doing they were just doing their job but they were on our back to to the show wasn't making doesn't make any real money for for the studio until you know after it sold into syndication and to to netflix now they're making money on it but back then they're just trying to not uh throw throw uh what's the phrase bad money after good
0: yeah
1: um and and uh you know it, it was about like trying as best to to be involved but also like trying Our role evolved to also trying to um, make Lucas sort of clear the path for Dan and the writers, the rest of the writers, uh, to 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 be able to do our work um, without, uh, you know, being being uh, having the (laughs) having the plug pulled, frankly, Mm -hmm. uh, because it was getting it was it, it, getting to a place where it wasn't worth anybody's time uh, or the studio's time or the network's time to make the show that unfortunately not enough people were, were watching enough, enough that we got six seasons, um, uh, and, and enough to, to have this sort of rabbit cult fan base,
0: yes. um,
1: that, that kept us alive and, and con- continues to, you know, with, with, uh, in the sense that, uh, there's a demand for the show. Um, but, um, I don't know if that answers your question specifically enough, but uh, you know, the, the the reality is like um, uh, we were we were writers on the show, like the rest of the writing staff, trying to uh, trying to not just uh, help actually get the show that was in Dan's brain made without all these other factors throwing us off the rails, but also became clear that with all the voices, potential voices of smart people. Uh, And talented people who were associated with the show early on wanting to make the show either, you know, want to to normalize the show or like whatever their agendas were um, realizing early on that this was Dan's baby Mm -hmm. and that, and that uh, Dan, the the show was going to only get better if people understood that uh, the people we're working with understood that the buck needed to stop with Dan. Yeah. Um, and it, it did get to that. It did get to that level where we had to have a meeting internally, where um, uh, you know it had to be laid out for people that that Dan was going to be the one to decide ultimately uh, what we were doing um, uh, at every stage of the process, including editing, um, that he would have the final say. And the show became better once everybody sort of understood that and fell into line, which is about the middle of the first season like the, the first half of the first season was the shows were really, were really great, but, but it, it was, uh, it was, um, a lot of cooks, uh, and, and Dan really, you know, he, he was always in control, but it, it really got consolidated about midway through. Um, and, and that's when the show really took off, I think.
0: Yeah. Interesting. I mean, you have so many, uh, amazing writers in that first, uh, season, Liz Kakowski, uh, um, Hillary Winston, Andrew Guest—you have—and these are all people who go on and and are running their own shows in one way or the other. And so, I, I mean, not saying that any one of them were were those cooks, but you have so much talent and you have so much perspective, and and uh, yeah. You know,
1: and I'm not I'm not referring to the writers. By the way, I'm talking yeah. like the writers all understood early on, and, and they were also like giddy with the fact that. The are the shackles were were off in yeah. terms of where, where the show could go and what it can do, and um, everybody really sort of flourished and thrived under that. Um, uh, the, right, it was like th- those were the cooks that we wanted to to sure, have a say. Sure, okay. It became clear early on, like I said, that, D- that Dan had such a strong voice and such a strong vision that that he needed to have the final pass on a lot of these scripts. Um, uh, uh, not not a lot, at all of the scripts. So that was called Harmonizing Uh uh, the script where Dan would at the very, you know, once we had a script in place, he would make sure he took his pass at the show. Sometimes we do that uh, with what we call the talk show, which was with Dan behind the computer and a couch next to Dan where the guests, AKA the other, a handful of other writers, we would try to rotate who, who it was, uh, but would sit, sit next to Dan and be there for whenever Dan got stuck <laughs> to, uh, to, to pitch their joke or their moment or their beat and, uh, you know, uh, help. Um, but, you know, also a lot of the writers were, you know, Dan was very gracious and um, collaborative and, and, and very open to the fact that, and aware of the fact that the staff is great and very open to, uh to once the writers realized that we can do this kind of stuff you know like that's where the law and order ideas came from and the 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 different let's do different timelines and let's do let's do a musical and um uh you know those ideas came from all different kinds of places but someone had to be the one to go I like it that's what we're doing it and that someone had to ultimately had to be Dan otherwise the show wouldn't have worked uh, and it really came to pass it, 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 it you know Dan left after season three as you know I'm sure somewhere along the line you want to ask me about season four
0: I would love um, to, to know your your opinion about season four I,
1: I haven't <laughs> actually haven't seen it okay. I saw like I saw one episode and it's not for any reason or, or, or you know we also left at the end of season three right um, as at Chris McKenna and a handful of other people. And the reality was, um, you know, it was a stage where, where the studio networks sort of, uh, I don't even know who, who made the decision, honestly, or can't remember, but their calculus was such that they felt like, you know, they they always felt there was a nagging feeling that they had, that, that there was a, again, there was a normal show somewhere in community mm. to be had that, that, that wouldn't have episodes like Dungeons and Dragons that, Or or you name it, um, Dreamatorium episodes (laughs) that people go with the fuck and just turn off television. Um, And I think that you know Dan leaving them them essentially firing Dan was was them saying putting down their flag and going, okay, you've had your fun. The show's not popping to the extent we wanted to. We're going to try something different. Um, You know, and then Dan became the most powerful showrunner in hollywood when they hired him back yeah. uh because he was unfireable but 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 you know it was an un you know the, it was a um it was it was unavoidable that season four would be what it was it was a no-in situation mm. we were offered and dan knows this garrett and i were offered to take over the show um when he left and we said there's no way we're taking over the show Mm. because the show without Dan is not community. It's just not, I don't mean to sound like a cultist here. I'm just laying (laughs) out facts. I'm sure you've heard versions of this from everybody. As much as, as much as all these other writers, uh, uh, as much as all of us had our thumbprints on it and, and um, you know, feel feel some, some degree of ownership. um, He, he harmonized all those episodes Mm. and they were in his voice. And a lot of us, writers are good at approximating voices that's how we get hired is to some degree is based on how well someone thinks we can write their characters and in in the voices but ultimately you know dan dan had that touch that that we knew even if we took over who'd been with dan for three years and i think Chris felt and other high level writers who were there who might've taken over felt like eh, without Dan, it's not going to be the same, yeah. not just because without Dan, but because their whole reason for um, taking Dan, Dan out for that year was, was that they wanted the show to be different. so it just felt like a no win situation hmm. because a uh, it wasn't going to be a different show in the voice of Dan Harmon because uh, he wasn't going to be involved in it. And th- the fans that loved the show to that point it felt like we're not going to love the show anymore if it was something else. Mm. So anybody who stepped into that position was being done, was stepping into it with the mandate of turning the show into something else. It wasn't like that. And by the way, again, not taking anything away from Dan. In fact, you heard me say just by virtue of the fact they weren't Dan, the show would feel like something else. It would feel like it was trying to approximate Dan or, or emulate Dan, but without that extra harmonization Mm. uh, would Probably not feel quite right, um, uh, but but the mandate was make the show different, um, and again it just felt like to Garrett and I certainly it felt like well you were you know we're gonna we're running the huge risk of alienating the the, the fans that we do have the rabid fan base that we do have um, by by making the show different and uh, and uh, you know we weren't Dan ultimately so and it, it proved to be the case yeah it you know those they gave it a, a, a great effort there were some great writers on that staff um still you know who and there was some continuity but uh you know it, it was a self-fulfilling prophecy that to some degree that either the show would end after four years or or they you know power the powers that be would realize that maybe they made a mistake and bring Dan back and lo and behold yeah that's what happened
0: yeah Yeah it does feel like an approximation. I I actually have uh, a softness for it. Uh, I I certainly look at it and uh, I think there are a a handful of moments where um, uh, Megan and other writers were, they did capture that, uh, what we For talked, sure. talked early on about that secret sauce that there's uh, a moment where in the Her Story of Dance episode, I keep on going back to where Pierce actually has a moment of, of being a human and, and defends mm-hmm. Britta and um, there's an, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, but. What you're saying, and I totally, I, I preface or every statement, is that that harmonization is not there. So I, I totally agree with you that this, this is not Dan. And um, thankfully, he agreed to come back because 5 and 6, um, I, I love both of those seasons.
1: Yeah, no, there's no question that it, 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 it came back. And again, it's really just a function of there's a great deal of you know to agree to which you know again the nice thing about tv is that when when there is a showrunner in place and he's the head writer or he or she the head writer and and he or she has final say there's there's an opportunity for that person if they can also fend off the the network and studio and dan was able to do so because ultimately he was like you know what if you want to fire me fire me there there were other points before he was ultimately fired where he sort of put that out there Mm. and you know it got a little Tense and scary, like standoff-wise, in terms of you know whether Dan was going to to return the show or not. But ultimately, that gave him the leverage to go. Well, if you want me, this is the kind of show I'm going to deliver, you know. Um, and if you don't like what I, I do, then and if you don't give me final say, then I'll leave. He literally said that. Yeah. And it wasn't until they took him up on that, and, not, and again, in the hopes that 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 the show would do better and be better, I guess, or or at least be more what they wanted it to be. Hmm. Um, uh, until they realize that that uh, that wasn't working. Um, it, uh, you know it, it's it's there's no question that that you know, on the scale of like to what degree uh, the show is a product of an o tourist, I don't know if that's a word. But I made again, a like word too so. <laughs> television television in theory allows you to be a bit of an auteur because you use as, as the head writer yeah. you know in, in features and movies if you're writing directing and whatever there's a lot of compromises you have to make unless you're directing it you know a lot of times the writer writes it and then it gets rewritten hundred times and that's what ends up on screen isn't anywhere close to what they originally wrote um, uh, it's it's you know t- to TV there's there's in theory uh, if you can if you can leverage, uh things correctly like um dan did really like bill did also and seth with their shows all of those shows are examples of of people who were at the helm who knew what they wanted who had a very specific vision and ultimately um said my way or the highway yeah. you
0: know
1: yeah. uh, for better or for worse yeah. um
0: You you were credited for Biology 101. So third season, you and uh, Garrett come in and do uh, an episode. What drew you back into wanting to do a draft? uh
1: Well, we honestly, we it was one of those things that we uh, it was hard to do a draft early on because for us because um, because of Dan uh, not necessarily knowing when we started how to go about you know, doing a show week in week out when you go off and write a draft, you kind of disappear for a week. And it felt early on, like we didn't necessarily have the luxury to do that. Dan was rewriting most of the scripts anyway. Um, It felt like um, our time was better served being around physically around all the time to sort of, you know, give Dan whatever help he needed and be, be at his fingertips and at his beck and call. Mm -hmm. Um, uh second and then what happened also is as these shows got more complicated to produce, our role as as I, as I mentioned, aside from just being in the room and acting like writers, we were oftentimes having to run around and coordinate and communicate a lot, like in other words again if 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 we didn't have a script for the episode that was starting on Monday, well, but we had a story for it someone had to communicate that to production and the production people and coordinate and figure out how the hell we're going to actually make the show on a one day notice as opposed to um, a week's notice and we were you know someone had to sort of fill that role on this show and that was us for a while and it kind of felt like it was more important than um uh going off and and uh writing a draft but season three uh, there were two years under our belts. It was the first episode, so we were able during pre-production to uh, finally, you know, the studio was kind of like, "Where's your guy's script?" And we're like, "All right, if you <laughs> if you want, you know, yeah. <laughs> Dan rewrites them anyway." But we were happy to uh, we're happy to write our draft and put our names on an episode. In retrospect, I kind of wish we had done that a little bit more, hmm. um, but it just wasn't feasible. I mean, it was yeah. there were a couple years where it was. It was, um, it was really, the show was like, uh, saying on the verge of imploding is overstating it by a lot, but there were a lot of nervous people. Mm. Um, so we, we were surrounded by a lot of nervous people <laughs> who needed a lot of handholding,
0: yeah.
1: uh, in order to, um, bear with us and, uh, understand, uh, that this is what we were going to do and this is how we we're going to do it. And that took up a lot of uh, time the first two seasons and energy. Yeah. Um uh but uh you know, I, and by the way, saying that Dan came in and rewrite rewrote a lot of stuff, which he did, um, and, and every showrunner does, um, does not take away from the fact that some some people, you know, like the the, the people you mentioned, especially the Andrews, the Megans, the McKennas wrote and, and had a great deal of uh, authorship and ownership of their episodes from mm-hmm. conception to the end, you know, Dan still came in and did his thing, but, but, uh, they certainly, uh, contributed a lot, yeah. yeah, a lot.
0: You're known for really getting involved in Twitter and, and just, um, you know, do you have some really good fan interaction experiences that you'd look back on and, and think positively about?
1: Well, this isn't necessarily, this- Yes, this is just what you're referring to. But the most amazing fan reaction, and I think I think a fan reaction that actually had a lot to do with why the show, uh, why NBC and Sony stuck with the show for as long as they did, given the sort of arguably marginal ratings, was the first Comic Con that that we were at mm. on the panel um, when that panel was announced. I'm sorry, when that when that uh, when sort of the lights went up uh, uh, on that panel and the crowd uh went berserk um you know we'd been making the show kind of in isolation we knew we loved the show we saw the show get some love on twitter but it was the first sort of visceral sense that that the cast and uh dan and we um and the network and studio saw sort of just the adulation Mm. um it was it was like it sounds corny but it was like it, it was like it made you like, like when you're in the receiving end of that, it was, it was overwhelming and you got like a little teary and goose wow. Like it, it was, there was such That's like great. electricity and love in the air there. Um, and I, and I do think that, that played a role in NBC, you know, comic cons was nothing to be sneezed at. All these places were always trying to get their, their, you know, attention there. And, and and they were in the room and they saw the amount of love for the show and that it was, a, it was a, that we could grow from that it, it opened their eyes. It really helped us get a second season, even mm-hmm. a third season. um, uh but you know on the more one-on-one things early on, because we were trying to get as any attention as best we could, uh the fan interaction was great. We were encouraging all the writers and the cast to, to their the extent that they could to, to interact. Um but uh Joel and I would have these giveaways. Um and it, it was to some degree to engage for sure, but it was also selfishly to trend to get the show trending yeah. and without fail. If I put up a community signed community script or a a piece of merchandise uh, and announced that, you know, if you, whatever the hashtag was, um, that if you retweeted and got this trending, we would pick someone at random. And Joel, with his, at the time, 2 million followers, would retweet my tweet uh, within an hour. Uh, sometimes a half hour we were we were trending on Twitter whatever we wanted. Awesome. Um, which was cool. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that ultimately it moved the needle, but it was another one of these things, especially back then, that was like, you know, it was there was a, some cachet to this idea of trending on Twitter. There still is, mm-hmm. even though it doesn't necessarily translate <laughs> always to high viewership. Yeah. It was another thing that we we were hoping would, you know, on some level we were hoping it would move the number, but we were also just wanting, we were just forwarding all those trends to to NBC. Mm. Like, hey look we're hot people like us look what's true and boobs is trending my favorite one by the way was when at the end of season three i think it was when we did the animated episode um because again animation has this long lead time uh we're we're, we're able to um uh Dan was able to sort of take even longer <laughs> than usual to to harmonize the script and he did. And so we had to sort of I think good natured. I was, you know, being pressured. The show had already wrapped and and we had to we had a deadline and so it was on Dan and I think we at one point we had trended uh literally like Harmon finished three oh whatever it was finished three twenty two. <laughs> so it was it was I was I was basically uh you know trying to Bust Dan's balls yeah. to, to take his pass via a uh, Twitter trend. Awesome. Um, and, and it's most absurd. Um, but no, there was a group of, uh, of of Twitter folks who hopefully are listening to this. Who oh, um, they are?
0: Yeah, still around.
1: I'm sure they are. Who remain remain uh, fans to this day? And I've got I'm looking right now at some community art on my wall. It's it's Calvin and Hobbes style uh, Abed and and Troy mm. saying cool, 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 which I tweeted out when. When uh, Netflix uh, started on on April 1st, we, we had you know some of those shows that we went to those art community fan art shows where yeah. we got to meet some of these people. Uh, they showed up uh, sometimes, uh, drove great distances to get to some of these panels that that we were on or or, or the or the cast were doing, and um, and uh, all of that was great because it's it's like again you you bust your butt. And you don't necessarily see yourself in the top 20. You don't necessarily get patted on the head by a network and studio who are still trying to figure out, you know, like the bottom line of the show and, you know, how, not necessarily getting, getting the pats on the head from them week in, week out. Mm. So getting that kind of input um, from a core group of, of rabid fans um, also, I think, kept everybody going. Um, in those moments when, when, uh, the hours were, were crazy and, um, sure. We were, we were getting it from all ends about, you know, being on time, being on budget. Um, that was keeping everybody going. Uh, I think Dan would, would say so as well.
0: Yeah. Uh, do you have a favorite episode, favorite character as I wrap up?
1: Um, yeah. I mean, Abed was always a favorite, hmm. uh, on, on a writer level. Abed was a favorite because, uh, he was our sort of version of the voiceover mm-hmm. he was always able to basically articulate what was going on in the story yeah. because of his ability to read people and his pop culture references he was very useful uh in a utilitarian way as a writer to be able to help s- allow people to know amongst all the craziness what was going on in mm-hmm. the story by giving voice to it yeah. But 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 also by being in character it was our version of jd's voiceover yeah. in the show um and uh, so he was sort of a, a, uh, a, a personal favorite, not just because of, of that aspect of the character, but because he's so fun to write with and his dynamic, which we did not expect when we started with the show. You know, things are never written in stone. And, and any show, as you go, you the show evolves because of what the actors bring, bring to it and, and what you learn from the actors. And we certainly borrowed and, and leaned into what the actors sort of their intrinsic sort of essences were and their comedic wheelhouses were as we got to know them better uh you know one of the things early very early on that we decided that before we even start production was that wouldn't it be funny to have troy and and uh, pierce be these these uh you know best friends (laughs) Um, to have like a May, December kind of like old white guy, young, cool black dude, uh, best friendship. And very early on for reasons we can all imagine that, uh, chemistry wasn't there, <laughs> but, um, but, but holy shit, was it there with, with Troy and Abed? Yeah. Um, and so that was like a revelation. And, and so writing those two, um, was also just cool. super fun, uh, and writing those, you know, those tags, those little like self-contained bits, mm-hmm. Um, their sort of bromance. Um, and and to that effect, this wasn't necessarily a heavy Troy story, but um, uh, I forget some of the names of the episodes, but the Pulp Fiction was Cinema Studies or?
0: Yeah, yeah. Advanced, um, like that. Um, is that the Dinner with Abed? Dinner with Abed, yeah. 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 That was. that's. A-
1: that, that was a, a, a personal favorite for a number of reasons just because it was one of those that even Dan, he was on a, he was like, uh, I feel like I was, I was a bit of emotional support during that episode because I really believed when we, when we all sort of cracked what that through line was as, as weird as an episode as that is yeah. story-wise and structurally. Um, uh, when, when we, when we figured out what it was about, uh, I, I it, it was easy to, to constantly, um, ourselves as we were as we were writing that mm-hmm. one and Dan Dan sometimes was and uh, I was like no no this I remember saying to him like this works this works it this does. will this is about something it'll land it's odd it's a show it's a movie that no one's ever heard of <laughs> uh, mashed up with a show that a lot of people uh, have heard of uh, and, it's, and it's weird and it's great and it's gonna work and then uh, um, the other um, Fun part about that was the Cougar Town aspect. Given my relationship with Bill, yeah. um, the fact that that you know uh, this was Cougar Town we're mentioning, and then later on in the in the year, you know, we we coordinated with Bill to um, to uh, how to rush uh, Danny over to the Cougar, Cougar Town set yeah. so that, so that he could actually um, you know be, be the extra that he was yeah. he was referring to the episode. Th- that kind of stuff really always you know that kind of meta uh, stuff really just i just really enjoyed that aspect of the show and cougarton abbey and all that <laughs> stuff so that was sort of the ultimate payoff of, the, of, of uh abed's love for cougar Town and that that easter egg waiting for people to see if they noticed and what, what their reactions would be that was part of that was really fun for me so that was a for a number of reasons but there are there a ton like the good the, the chicken fingers episode mm-hmm. was a favorite one from season one um uh the the like the one that uh megan was talking about she did an amazing job on that was a fun one for also an Easter egg, you know, with with um, Annie's boobs. Actually, like there's that frame where you can see. Yeah. I remember on set when we, I think Joe Russo, and I and Megan were there, or maybe I'm imagining that I was there. I can't remember, but but for, for the sake of my story, I was there. And uh, <laughs> when we, we were like, hey, let's just have, let's just see it, let's let's just hide it. Yeah. You know. Like, and and uh, the fact that it took a few weeks for anybody to or maybe it sooner but it certainly wasn't right away to notice those kind of little touches and Megan's idea of Beetlejuice mm-hmm. always made me laugh. Abed's little um, B story C I'm sorry C story even that took place without any words. I think that was Hillary Winston's idea yep. uh, in the background. Um, I don't know Abed's just the character that I really enjoyed really weird places the dreamatorium being the extreme example of that I still don't know if that episode makes any sense but um, well, I
0: love it yeah that's awesome Well, right, I have I kind of have one last question and and it's actually from uh, you know I, there's a discord channel which is this social media channel that uh it's kind of like a ongoing message board type of thing it's what the kids use and i I, i'm on it and i use it to ask questions because there's i don't know a few hundred uh almost a thousand people on it who are talking about community every day and uh uh, yeah it's great Uh, so a guy named danny rivers he's uh actually a, a journalism and film major at Kansas uh he's told me to to, to say cuz he's ready to graduate after uh, you know covid-19 uh <laughs> keeps us uh, all in uh, indoors at this point but he's yeah. a huge community fan and asked do you think there's ever going to be another show like community
1: yeah i think i think uh There will be, I think community, you know, Dan, Dan is out there creating and obviously Rick and Morty, which also my little side story on that was how I remember it was a night we were doing some late rewrite. And Dan's like, I got this meeting about this uh, animated show I want to do. And I was like, ah, why is he wasting his time? Mm. Animated show. He's got this show. We have to have a script for tomorrow. That's never going to work. Now it's the biggest show on television. So that's, goes to show how much i know uh and, I, and by the way i love it and it's brilliant yeah. um but no i think like a lot of like the megan gans has a great show now um on apple yeah mythic um, quest
0: just started watching it. It's uh, great you
1: know Chris is, is a, I don't know if we'll get back in the TV, He's become a giant movie yeah. writer, Chris McKenna. Uh-huh. Uh, but, but you know, Dan and all these other minds, and I think uh, are still out there trying to get stuff made. I think that there are more, way more than when Community was on the air. There's way more outlets for, for shows and, and formats and Quibi, whatever that is, is starting <laughs> soon. And um, no, I just think that, look, it, we're it's that thing of living in an age in which there's a ton of places who are striving for content, um, I think if community performs well on um, streaming, um, uh, that um, you know it's going to open some eyes and and have those people uh, give those those folks and at those outlets an, an appetite for shows similar shows uh, that take these these risks. Um, I think that. I don't know that there'll ever be a show like community on network television again, Mm -hmm. although network television is becoming more and more like streaming. You know, the, the big irony uh, with, with community I remember is that we were, it was replaced um, by, there was a big push from the network to have Thursday night. It wasn't just us have 30 rock and parks and and community were all considered these critical hits that weren't necessarily um, big, you know, shows that got big numbers. Mm -hmm. And there was a big push to be much more commercial and be much broad, try to get a much broader audience and, and um, they put on these other shows like the Michael J. Fox show, which, by the way, Friends created it was a good show, and a bunch of shows. You like you can never tell like this effort to get you know put a big TV star on and a good show and whatever. It didn't do any. It did worse than Community did. Mm-hmm. Now whether that's because every year network television viewership goes down and it was a victim of that, we don't know. But you know, on some level, on one hand, it's the great equalizer. It's like the networks are are not doing a hell of a lot better in terms of absolute numbers than the streaming services are. Um, and they're continuing to tread down, trend down every year. So on one hand, I said I don't know that it'll ever make it on network TV again. I think on some level it was it was a an anomaly that the show got on um and, and and was able to to do what it did, uh, not just for 13 episodes and hour, but for six seasons. Um, but um, but you know, j- just the fact that there's Peacock, all even these these yeah. streaming services that have as of time we're talking haven't even appeared yet, they're all hungry for content. Um, uh, they're all going to hopefully see community uh, continuing to perform well streaming, and will want shows that are cut from the same cloth. Um, you know, by by the same creators or by people who have been influenced by it. And I think, uh, yeah, there's going to be a lot of good risk taking. Uh, television that can can get on and thrive thanks to the fact that the the same type of pressures that existed on network television, you know, aren't, uh, you know, look, you still need eyeballs. Uh, and I'm not, I, I don't know exactly what the metric for success is mm-hmm. yet, but um, I know the, 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 the pie has been sliced a lot thinner and it just gives us the opportunity. To, and I think we've seen that, you know, I think even since community, there have been shows it's a big question about what it means, like to have a show like community, huh. but in terms of sensibility, in terms of taking risks, in terms of doing things that are different and out there, and marching to be their own drummer. I think we've seen a bunch of those shows, and they, I think, and hope we'll see more.
0: So that's the long answer. Okay. No, that's great. <laughs> that's the, yeah, that's the answer I was hoping for. <laughs> no, yeah, that's great. Um, so really, there's one last question. Um, what do you think the chances are of getting the, our movie?
1: Um, I think that, you know, I, um, was asked to, I can't, I spoke at my alma mater, had like a little thing after family guy, I was on scrubs and, and family guy had been canceled and they said, do you think, and this is after family guy was canceled the first time after the first 37. And I said, uh, they said, any, anything, there's any chance that family guy will ever come back. And I, and it was weirdly, it was the day that I was speaking so at the school, um, the DVD had come out. I said, the DVD's out, DVDs out today, go out and buy that thing. Remember DVDs? Yeah. Remember those? <laughs> uh, go out and buy that thing. And who the hell knows, if you buy enough of them, maybe you'll come back. Now, again, as I hope has been clear, I've been wrong as often as, as I've been right in this in the examples I've brought up, Rick and Morty being the ultimate, not that I ever had a judgment about whether Rick and Morty would fail, would, would succeed or fail, but yeah. you, know, yeah. uh, you get my point. Yeah. Um, uh so who knows but um that that worked out Family guy did come back it was because of the tv selling like crazy mm-hmm. um i think in this day and age again when we're seeing certainly reunion specials and in some cases reboots in some cases whatever that if the eyeballs are there and people consume the show and there's still a market for the show and demand and given how well dan is doing and thanks to the success of rick and morty um and if dan had the time and the and the um and uh you know uh, a willing cast which i think he does i think there's a there's definitely a chance so there's no dvds to buy but um i just bought some
0: actually i bought some for the for the commentary yeah
1: look this fandom has, has has as as far as i'm concerned not to speak for dan but i think Dan would certainly give the fan base a lot of credit for making a show that on some, on, on some levels should have been 13 and out, yeah. um, uh, go for six seasons, uh, getting a movie uh, on top of it. Uh, if, if, if uh, the cast is willing to do it and Dan is, and it sounds like from a bunch of public interviews that everybody's game for it, yeah. hopefully uh, the stars will align and we'll, we'll get that movie.
0: Yeah, that would be great. Well, with Happy that, date. yeah, yeah, with that, uh, Neil Goldman, thank you for being on Six Seasons and a podcast.
1: My pleasure, thank you for for having me. Um, and again, thanks to everybody listening who I, I do think uh, for sure has been a very instrumental part in in the success of this show. Um, no question about. It.